everyone. This is Kathy Mason from Mason Works Marketing here on Conscious Business Zone with my buddy, Kelvin Chin. Hi, Kelvin. Hey, good to see you again. Hey, Kel. So everyone, if you don't know Kelvin Chin yet, uh, who I'm calling Kel, because um, mm -hmm. I, I just love, I, I love his work. Um, he is the author of Overcoming the Fear of Death, Marcus Aurelius updated and we'll t find out why he wrote that book <laughs> and this brand new book after the afterlife yay right <laughs> yeah so, so kelvin this is it's amazing book mm. it's an amazing book so kelvin let's let's set the stage for people that may not know you yet sure. where they would want to know <laughs> your journey to writing a book like this with the um, acknowledgments of your participation in history, in human history, in a bigger way than most of us are aware of our consciousness. Could you talk a little bit about your journey? Because that alone is a hero's journey, in my opinion. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, seriously, you guys, if you get to take meditation classes with Kelvin, do it. If you get a chance, this guy, he, he knows how to get you in the zone of no anxiety, total peace, and where you can hear yourself. But anyway, back to Kelvin. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you talking about? Oh, it's me. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so well, yeah, I, I just want people to understand a little bit about your journey, if you would. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston, Massachusetts, um, in a science-oriented family. My parents were both scientists, and I was very science-oriented. I say that because a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is what people refer to as spiritual stuff, and it was not part of my upbringing at all. Um, although my aunts told me, my mom's uh, younger sisters who were in high school when I was born, told me that I talked to angels when I was two, couple, two, three years old um, at my grandparents' house in the living room regularly when I was the only grandchild. Now there's, I think, 18 grandchildren wow. on my mom's side. But I was the only grandchild, so all the attention was focused on me, obviously, from aunts the uncles my grandparents and everything um and they told me when i was in high school that i spoke with i called them my invisible friends um when i was two three years old so evidently that started before my con conscious i mean obviously i was consciously aware of it when i was two or three but i buried it because they kind of made fun of me so that's a little teaching point for all you parents and grandparents out there and aunts and uncles don't do that to young children who, you know, support them. Anyway, so um, I learned to meditate when I was 19 years old. I learned TM, Transcendental Meditation, as taught by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Um, those of you may recognize his name. He taught the Beatles to meditate and so forth uh, in 1967. And they studied with him in 1968, February, at his um, ashram in um, Rishikesh, India at the time. Uh, that's where they wrote, wrote, wrote the White Album, those of you who know the Beatles' work, and so forth. 
So I learned to meditate a couple of years after that. And um, I was very stressed out. I didn't learn because I was into spiritual stuff. Like I said, I came from a science background, a science family and so forth. Um, I went to church, you know, when I was a kid, but as kind of, you know, the parents said, you got to go to church, you got to go to Sunday school. And uh, they never went, but <laughs> <laughs> we went, you know, I think, I think it was like literally a legitimate socially accepted babysitting, uh, you know, <laughs> service that was free in the community. You go to church. That's a, you know, I went to church, uh, Sunday school, but that was it. And, but so I learned to meditate. I was 19. I was so stressed out. I was so highly anxious. That's the only reason I learned. And I, and I heard that they were doing scientific studies, Herbert Benson, a cardiologist in Boston, um, and, uh, he's a professor, uh, at, at Harvard medical school at the time I understand. And, um, he was doing some experiments and that's what got my attention when the, when the, the lecturer, a meditation speaker was talking about that, that because I was a, at the time I was pre-med. So I was really into science. And so I thought, whoa, I need some of that because I am so stressed out. That's why I learned. And then about six months later, I was in uh, some of the, Herb Benson's experiments. So I was in some of the very first medical studies ever done in the United States, 1970, 71, published in 71, 72, 1971, 72. Um, so that's what catapulted me into this, I guess, is the bottom line. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, I started opening up in other ways besides getting rid of my anxiety. My conscious awareness started expanding. People, you hear that phrase, my consciousness expanded. Or my con the phrase I use today is my conscious capacity of experience expanded. It was my mind, my own mind expanding into the vastness of itself um, started happening. And I was like, what? And then um, in the mid-70s, my past life memory started opening up. In the mid-1980s, I started opening up to the other side. So all of this spontaneously, never had a past life regression session at all. And then I started opening up to the other side and communicating with those in the what we call the afterlife or heaven or, you know, with the other side. So yeah. that's kind of my journey. Yeah. So so when we first met, um, you were really, I think we were, you were working with this book. Right. And 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 you were um, I I'm a volunteer for IONS. And so you were um, doing presentations so that people could get over the fear of death, overcoming right. the fear of death. And right. so you have two, you have three nonprofits that you do. Could you tell a little bit about that too, before we go into this new book? Sure. Yeah. So um, I've been helping people with death and dying issues for almost as long as I've been teaching meditation. I've been, this is my 50th year teaching meditation since wow. 1973. Um, and uh, that's, that's teaching actually people to meditate. I've was lecturing on meditation uh, since 1970. Um, I started helping people with death and dying issues in the 1980s. Uh, it really inspired, I guess is the right word, or, you know, inspired by the sadness and the grief uh, that I was consumed by when my mom died suddenly in 1982. So my mother died suddenly of a severe illness, cancer, and so forth, very quickly. And it really shook my 
internal world, let's just say, shook my world. Uh, a lot of grief, a lot of sadness, a lot of crying and so forth. And so I kind of back-ended into helping people because I needed help. So I started talking to other people. They started talking to me. And then I kind of figured out just by trial and error what worked, you know, what made sense and how, mm. what, what helped me and what helped other people. That's how I got into helping people with death and dying issues. So as you said, kind of more recently in the last, what's last 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, I started a nonprofit overcoming the fear of death and I have a turning within foundation and so forth. And I help people with all of the above turning within, learning to meditate, overcoming the fear of death, understanding about afterlife and so forth. So I take a non-religious approach to everything that I do, as you know. So the overcoming the fear of death is not a religious approach. It's a, Right. It's a, it's a really, a, a, you know, I'm a citizen of the world and I'm a citizen, you could say, I don't know if it's a citizen, but I am a, I am a um, supportive of, of all spiritual paths, basically. Right, right. Whatever that is, whatever right. you call that, that's, well, that's, that's the, who I am. The yeah. reason I wanted to ask those questions, you know, to bring the foundation of the work, or at least my journey with you mm. um, into light is that I want people to understand when we go into this story that this is, um, that Kelvin is a very um, stable, giving, um, foundational um, thought leader. Um, he he um, is a lawyer. He um, he went to Dartmouth. He was an Ivy Leaguer do, do, do before, a, a, as he was doing meditation. So this mm -hmm. is not somebody that I found off the street <laughs> who's going <laughs> to tell you some pretty amazing stuff. I just wanted yeah. to preface it that that this is an all around great guy who's done most of most of his life. He's done in service to others, which is yeah. a remarkable, beautiful thing to acknowledge and to um highlight because yeah, we need yeah. more heroes like this actually <laughs> thank you kathy yeah i mean i had to support a family i have two children and i had to support a family of four of us right beautiful children and um and so i had a career in law and in, in, in law firm management and so forth but all along the way i was helping people with death and dying issues and all along the way uh, on the side, I was helping people lower their anxiety and so forth, teaching meditation, et cetera, and, or expand their conscious capacity, however they want to look at meditation. So I was always doing that on the side. Now I'm doing it full time for the last 10 years since I started my nonprofits. And just a one set short sentence on the nonprofits is I never turn anybody away for financial reasons. Never That's just a absolute statement. If people have a need, they want my help, I help them. And that's it. That's that's the statement. And and I and I give a free phone session for anybody in the world about anything that we're that I teach and work with as a, as it relates to my nonprofits. It's a free initial phone call. So there you go. Yeah, it's super, super. Because, um, again, I, I've done a lot of meditation classes before, but yours was the best one for me because well, I, I got, went deeper. I went yeah. deeper somehow and cleared um so, so the fact that I didn't realize I had anxiety, but apparently I did. <laughs> and um, so, and for everyone in these changing times, there is, I don't know anyone who couldn't use a centering tool 
for every single day to be in joy and to look for what they can co-create with the universe rather than being a victim of everything. So that, that that's my infomercial right now. Yeah, yeah. The, the bottom the bottom line on that, everything you just said is number one, it meditation can and should be easy. It should be effortless. You shouldn't have to clear the mind of thoughts. The fact that the mind wanders and all that should not be a problem if 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 you learn an easy effortless technique like the way I teach it. Right. And the second point is we all have stress. You may not think of yourself as an anxious person, but everybody is carrying around some baggage. Doesn't matter. And if people say they're not, they're lying. Right. I am. Everybody is. Right. Right. And and I would say right now where we're in these changing times and um, you know, the media is hammering on us. We've we've just come out of the the lockdowns and lots of people suffered with their business the past couple of years. I mean, we're, we're at a point where if you don't have personal power, if you, if you don't have tools to create personal power, you're in a lot of stress. And yeah. so that's why I just wanted to do the infomercial because honestly, I, I'm so grateful for your work. Okay, so now we're going to talk about your new book. So your new book hmm. is pretty revealing. I mean, this must be, are you a little nervous getting this book out there? No? No, I'm not nervous, but I'm telling you, it was very emotional for me writing it. You know, because you've read the book, you can yep. tell. Yep, yep. Right. So so basically, when you take a class with... Um, with Cal, uh, the, he's got the other life after life class as well. Um, mm -hmm. And he, and it, then in this book, you start to realize that Kelvin has a, you, this is Marcus Aurelius updated, which um, is, I, I've still got all these poster notes in here. I probably could have 10 more in here that every time I read it, every time I read it, I was like, whoa, that's profound. I want to remember that because Marcus Aurelius was a hell of a philosopher. A lot of the um, beings that you've been. Um, so, okay. So I don't want to go too far ahead. Marcus <laughs> Aurelius was a philosopher as well as a Roman um, <clears throat> leader. And Kelvin in this book details all as many of the past lives as he has been able to identify, he may have more, chances are, um, that that have come through. And in the back of the book, there's actually, and you probably can't see this, there's actually a timeline of, of the chronology of these lives. So, so, but, but I mean, you talked about it when we took this class. You, you, I mean, you use this in your, your class. So, so there must have been, okay. So first question, what was your favorite life besides this one? Well, this one's my favorite life. My present life is always my favorite. Well, this one's my favorite life anyway. Okay. But, uh, favorite life. I don't know if I have a favorite life. I have lives that have left very, very deep impressions in me for various reasons my slave lifetime i think has affected me most this lifetime 
Oh. My, my the one from 2300 years ago when I was a Carthaginian slave on a warship. Yep. I think that that one has affected me the most this lifetime in terms of, uh, let's say, benefit, because it was the lifetime that really um, left a deep impression in me of how powerful my mind is and still is and, 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 and always will be because I, that was a lifetime, you remember, that's when I willed myself to stay alive on a right. piece of wreckage in the Mediterranean and how powerful the mind can be to will the body not to die. Now, you can't prevent your body from dying, but I was ready to die. I mean, I was pretty much dead and I willed myself to stay alive long enough so those fishermen saved me. So that's the short version of that one, um, of that memory. Uh, that. You know, my um, my battlefield lifetimes in, in the Crusades, those have left the, the, the deepest impressions in my memory about how horrific uh, war is and, how, and battle. And and it, it, I'll leave that, that statement out there. And then the one as a native... Um, in the 1800s here in North America, in the Great Plains of what we now know as America, um, in the Dakotas there, that lifetime has left the deepest impression, sadness impression in me, the grieving impression in me. Oh. Grief, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Oh my gosh. Um, and uh, Noelle is on, and she says, love his new book, Fascinating. Oh, good. We'll, we'll have to have him on on uh, Co-Creators Convergence, too. Okay, so so I want to go. Uh, so thank you for telling me that. And I, I think I, um, I could see why you might have had anxiety if all of these different lifetimes were trying to to bleed through so so let's talk about that first because most people do have to spend a lot of money doing Q, qhht and they they go back for thing after thing after thing to remember their past lives um what do you think triggered all of these gifts um, because they're all lessons but they but they um they came in all i i I reread last night the Simon Peter one, mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But um, but why do you think they um, they wanted to be seen? Because most people walk through this lifetime, and they may have been reincarnated thousands of times, millions of times, even on all mm -hmm. different planets and here, mm -hmm. and they never remember any of it. That this mm -hmm. whole game we have here is to forget why do you think you're supposed to remember i don't i don't know if it's a supposed to or not i think it's a it's a it's a um why was i able to remember right right so um i think it's uh, uh several things i think it's uh first i think it's fear and there's lack of fear now i don't have a fear of death and dying. I've had so many experiences and memories of dying and death and 
I've been thinking, as you say, I'm a philosopher really at heart. I think about things in, in that way. I don't mean philosopher like sitting in an ivory tower just ruminating about crazy, crazy ideas. <laughs> um, I, I mean thinking about ideas and thinking about how they can be used in a practical way. That's the philosopher type that I am. Um, and I've been doing this for thousands of years, thinking about stuff. So I've overcome the fear of death a long time ago. And I think the other fear is fear of embarrassment, I guess I would distill it down to. Like, what are these other people going to think of me? I don't care what people think of me. You asked me at the beginning, am I afraid to come out and talk about this stuff? No, I mean, I, I really don't care. I don't, I'm not writing about this stuff about my past lives to try to convince anybody to believe what my interpretations of my experiences are. It, to me, it really doesn't matter what anybody thinks of, of me. I've, I've, out, I've kind of outgrown that concern, you could say, thousands of years ago. Because for thousands of years, I've had lots of people think that I was an, an, an idiot leader or an idiot person doing this or that or a, a stupid monk, you know, you know, a Buddhist monk who didn't know what he's talking about. I mean, I've had lots of people thinking that. So I so that's not a concern, the fear of embarrassment. Okay. I think those two are two big ones that block a lot of people. If they're really honest with themselves, they really do care what other people think. And they and they and, and most people have some fears around death and dying. I think those are two big ones. And the other thing that really I think has opened me up is my what I could just dis, I distilled this down to one little phrase: my emotional need to understand. I have an emotional need to understand stuff. And it doesn't mean just past life stuff or uh I have an emotional need to understand what my car mechanic just did with my car the other day. And I just spent 2000 bucks, you know, on my car because it needed engine mounts and this and that. And what's an engine mount? Explain to me what an engine mount is. Uh -huh. And, it, you know, I have an emotional need to understand stuff. It's, it's, it's not a, why do I have that? It's emotional for me. It's like, when I say emotional need, it's, it's like a default button. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just automatic for me. I like to, under, I'm an information sponge. You know, I love to learn stuff about different stuff. I'm not a car mechanic, but I want to know what, what's going on inside there. Why? Perfect. Perfect. Well, um, okay. So one of the lifetimes you had, we're, we're going to go to um, Simon Peter in a second, but <laughs> One of the mm. lifetimes you had, you almost were aligned with your father. You were a World War II fighter pilot. Yeah. And your father was a, a mechanic, right? He worked on airplanes. B-29s. B-29s. Right. The, right. the biggest, fastest bombers in the Second World War. Yeah. yeah. So what, how does that work? I mean, you know, when they... I guess I'm science fiction wise. They talk about time travel. And if you see yourself or you see, see um, like your father, well, I guess it's back to the future. When, when Marty went back and saw his father, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of, you could have been standing right alongside your dad. Yeah. We were both in the South Pacific, at, but, but far away from each other. I mean, you know, I was on aircraft carriers and he was off in India and in China uh, on airfields. But no, yeah, no, my my father and I, 
aren't connected from that lifetime. I don't know which, if there is a lifetime that my father, my biological father, this lifetime and I, I know my mother and I, yes. But actually my son recently told me, my current son in this lifetime, uh-huh. Jesse, um, told me that he thinks that he was in the Second World War with my father and that, and that that's why the two of them were like this. Wow. It was... And nobody has been like this with my dad emotionally. I've never seen anybody like this with my dad emotionally, including me, my siblings, anybody, except my son. Wow. There's something, yeah, as soon as, like, the first time he saw him when my son was a year and a half old, he, he almost jumped out of my arms to go to my his grandfather. And had never seen him before in his life, this lifetime. Right. Well, well, so yeah, you have to understand everything's vibration. So if, and frequency, right? Okay. Something, so, some, so, old, some old memory. Yeah. Some old energy memory. Yeah. So how, again, let's, let's, um, let's discover a little bit. Do you know the track, like your daughter, you, you, you have two beautiful kids. Hmm. Um, they're both um, models or, I mean, they're, they're amazing. <laughs> Um, handsome kids and smart and good good kids. Mm-hmm. Um, um, were do you know that you've been around? You said your mother. You've been with several lifetimes. Do you know about the rest? Yeah, of so my them? daughter. Yeah, my daughter and I have been with several several lifetimes together. Two thousand years ago, um, maybe a couple of times. Two thousand years ago, um, and again. Um, about 250 years ago, I think is the math. Again, um, yeah, we've been we've been together several times, and my son and I have been together uh, in that native lifetime in the 1800s, and probably other lifetimes as well. So, yeah, my kids have found me um, this lifetime, which is very cool. Um, okay. Okay, so so, and I'm also going to mention the 30th of November um, mm. series that um, where where George, uh, your one of your best friends, yeah, um, um, was able to connect the dots with a whole bunch of people that came in um, with Marishi and you, you and him. Um, and George was with you at Dartmouth as one yep. of your best friends. Yep. And um, and he, so that's how we're going to get back to Peter. Okay, so, <laughs> so but okay, the 30th of, the, of November series uh, recording is on YouTube. And mm-hmm. if anyone wants to know more about that, please contact Kelvin because that was the start of blowing my mind. So this just filled in the filled in the 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 dots or the yeah. sequences. But um, but the 30th of November proves that there is a a game in play that we I mean we say oh we selected our parents or we selected this storyline this lifetime or all of that. What um, do you think it's all happening at the same time, like they say? Or, or I, think you... things, I think things are sequential. Okay. I don't think, I, yeah, I think t- time is a measurement of change. 
And my experience of change is that change happens sequentially. It doesn't happen everywhere all the time. Otherwise, you'd have this butterfly effect that they talk about, which I think maybe was a Ray Bradbury term or something, you know, a science fiction writer. Um, but, you know, you'd have, if something happened, something in the past and affected the future and everything would all be get discombobulated. So, you know, you know, so... Um, yeah, I think okay. these theories that people have are interesting, but I don't think it's reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, the, the thing is, they call quantum jumping, where you can jump timelines, and I actually do see timelines um, for people when I do readings. So, so I do believe in that. But, but I'm just wondering if, um, I mean, your, your sequence of things that you've done and people mm. that you've had the compound knowledge of all of these people is quite remarkable so so let's go back to george and you and yeah. um simon yeah uh, peter so so here you are in i'm, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit you're in a class um and you start doing contortions with your body as though um, you later figure out that it's you're being crucified upside down, but at the beginning you're in the pretzel uh, configuration, and you can't stop it. There's energy surging up and down your spine. It's Kundalini on, off the charts, and you turn into this anguish body. Why don't Why don't you start from there? And and if you could fill in what I just um, didn't do well that's fine no that was good that was a good that was a good short summary statement okay. that's, that's what happened to me um what happened to me before that was about six or eight months before uh i had had a really distressing dream where i was really really upset i was crying in the dream and so forth i was saw myself i was in a ditch on the side of a road and so forth and i saw what i was wearing and all this and that and so I knew it was old. I knew it was ancient. I didn't know how old it was. I didn't know what it was from. I just thought it was a nightmare. Um, so about six or eight months later, I'm on, on, a, on a meditation retreat for two months, two months every day, meditating every day, all day, two months. And then we'd have group meditations um, in the dining room of the hotel. There were 75 guys in a hotel, uh, in our hotel. And, you know, we clear out the dining. They, they already had cleared out. Somebody had cleared out the dining room and it was just all wall to wall foam uh, pieces of twin foam mattresses with white sheets on it. So it was just a big room of foam uh, sitting on. So we would all sit there and we meditate and we do these energy exercises, as you say. And it was like Kundalini off the charts for me. And different people were getting different amounts of Kundalini, so to speak. And and uh, some people were hopping around and getting energy rushes up their spine. And like you said, I just contorted one day and flipped over on my back. And it took me a while experience. Well, maybe it took me a day of contorting like this. Then it started flooding into me what was going on. I started had a mental component along with the physical, um, involuntary physical phenomenon of me just flipping over. So it was like lying on my, I was sitting first and then my legs came out from under me, flipped over on my back. I don't know how to describe it. And my arms were out on the side like that. And I'm flipped over on my back, 
kind of like in a in a plow position, if people know the yoga position. Not exactly in a plow, but kind of, except I'm kind of writhing in pain at the same time. Uh, it was very intense. And so George and I were on a walk uh, after lunch, which we all regularly did. We went for walks after lunch and after dinner for an hour, and then we'd come back and meditate some more. Um, we were on our walk. And uh, behind the hotel, walking up the hill, and I started to tell him this dream that I had had six or eight months earlier. And, and I, all I told him was I had this really upsetting dream, and then he finished the dream for me. Wow. He told me what I was wearing. He said, yeah, you were on the side of a road. You had dirt all on your face, and you had rocks in your sand in your mouth, and you were crying, and you'd been there all night. And I said, well, how do you know all that? He told me the whole thing, and he said, because I found you. He said, I found you 2,000 years ago. I said, what, 2,000 years ago? I mean, I knew it was old. I didn't know from where or from when. And he said, yeah, yeah, 2,000 years ago. You don't, you've been flipping over, over your, on your back. You've been saying you're getting crucified upside down. You know who is crucified upside down? And I said, no. So, you know, he, he, was a, he, he went to Catholic schools his whole, uh, you know, through high school. And he was an altar boy from eight years old on and so forth. So he knew all, all this Bible stuff, and I didn't. I, and I told you I went to church because I had to, but I didn't really pay attention in Sunday school. I was a bad student in Sunday school. And um, so he told me, he said, yeah, that Simon Peter was crucified upside down. And then all this floodgates opened up. All these memories started flo flooding in about being with Jesus and this and that. Yeah. So, so... How did you handle that? Because, um, <laughs> well, the, the thing is, is that for people that are listening to this, a lot of times people, first of all, Kelvin yeah. hasn't always been somebody um, well-known. Yeah. No. Uh, he, he's been lots of other people, and we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. But, but um but when he has been somebody know, well known, like Marcus Aurelius or or Peter, uh, Simon Peter, I mean, um, how do you feel? Like the was it a heaviness that you got with that, or did you feel responsibility? Was there was there some with yeah, that was acknowledgement? What what yeah. came with that? Yeah, it was a mixture. It was a mixture of stuff. So first, what came to me was uh, energy. Like I got this flood of energy when he told me that, and I was just flooded with energy. Um, uh, just like 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 my body was like a lightning rod, you know, just flooded. It was like what, and 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 um, and then I'm 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 my I'm, but this is skepticism. So that uh, I'm having this real genuine flood of energy. And this knowingness that what he's saying is accurate, and yet at the same time I'm having this, it's like dual channels going on in me where I'm doubting what he's saying and I'm thinking he's making it up. So I got both channels going on at the same time because I come from a science background, remember? And so that's my whole wiring is I am, I need proof. You know, I need like, well, okay, tell me more. Like, how, how does this even make sense? And blah, 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 blah. So it, he had evidently been having his own memories 
opening up, I, I think it was a couple of years earlier, at least a couple of years before that. And I always thought he was just fantasizing and he had a good imagination. So um, <laughs> I didn't believe him. Or, yeah, George is like, okay, yeah, fine, great. You know, but um, but then I started having these experiences and I thought, well, maybe there's something to it, but I'm still doubting. So that's that I was still in doubting mode for a long time after that. Months, 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 many months. So, years, years, so years. writing this book had to be a way for you to land. A lot of times a book's a big healing um, mm. for people. Um, and you wrote your first book. That could have been the healing of your near-death experience. Um, the second book is, is you're just having to use your philosophy uh, in, in a practical way. And then this book allows people to go on your journey with you as well as um, maybe trigger some of their own awakening. That's, that's the way that's, I see this. That's why I wrote the book. So, so, think, so let's talk about why I wrote this book. I, I started having these memories in 1977, okay? And then 78, 79, blah, 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 up to present. And they continue even. So um, back then, I never intended to talk about these memories publicly. In fact, George and I would talk about it. We said, yeah, 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 we just talk about it with each other, you know? And there's been a small group of friends and family who have known about this. And I thank them at the beginning of the book. You know, it's with my with affection page at the beginning of my book where I talk about, you know, to my closest friends and family who honored my request to keep my memories to themselves for decades. They've kept it to themselves because I asked them to. Um, I never thought I was going to talk about this stuff, but I decided to talk about this stuff. Why? Because just as you kind of alluded to, I hope it inspires other people to start talking open, more openly about their own memories, if you have them. N everybody does not have to have memories in order to fully self-develop. That's something we can talk about later. But if you do, I encourage people to talk about this stuff because it's going to encourage other people to be more open about their own growth and their own spiritual development. And that's why I did it. A again, uh, whether people um, you know, believe what I've written is not the important thing. What's the important thing is, what do we learn from our past? It's not who I've been, these several known characters and most of whom, the several dozen of characters who, have, who are not known that I've been, unknown people. It's not the who, it's the what and the how. What do we take from this and how do we use it to help us in the continual exactly. present? Exactly. That's the key. That's yep. why I wrote the book. Yep, that's exactly. I, I'm cheering in behind the scenes here because that's what this is empowerment, basically, when you realize that, number one, there shouldn't be any fear of death. Number two, this is a school. You, you, you're lucky to be here um, to experience a school and um, the, the fearlessness of especially, I mean, the people you've been have been um, from warriors to almost saints to um, to Buddhist monks to, I mean, you've been to Sitting Bull. I mean, so we're talking about 6,000 years of human history. And, um, and uh, Omar asked, Omar Fiazzi's here, mm -hmm. and he asked, 
Um, have you had any life experiences beyond this earth? Yeah. So the short answer is yes. There's a, there's a, there's a, uh, an accounting in there of a memory I have being on another planet. Uh, and I did not see my alien body, but I could feel the water that I was in and it felt different on my body than I've ever felt water feel like on a human, my human bodies. So, which leads me to believe that even though if I, I couldn't see myself, I could see the other, my friends and what they look like, I probably look like them. I couldn't see myself. I was uh -huh. outside. But the feel of the water on around my legs, the calves of my legs at the time, I was wading in, in the water coming from my ship to, to greet them. And to, to and it was like a homecoming. It was like, wow, how are you doing? And it was all telepathic communication and so forth. Um, so the short answer is yes. And, and, there's a, and there's a brief accounting in there because I don't have a lot of memories of that lifetime, but it's very, very clear description of what I had. Uh, very clear memory. So Judith, uh, hi Judith, so glad you're here. Um, thank you for your courage to speak out, is mm -hmm. what she says. And mm -hmm. and I think um, the more you spend time with Kel, you'll understand this delightful, uh, um, expansive viewpoint of everything. And this is just part of it. It fits so perfectly into everything you do. So, so you also were a woman, Omer didn't ask, but you were a woman once yeah. also. But but most of these memories are male. It, it, do you find that interesting or is that just the way it's worked out? I think it's interesting and it's the way it's worked out. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's both. I find it interesting. Uh, but, uh, well, I mean, first of all, I don't have a memory. I mean, I, I'm a man this lifetime, okay? And I am a... Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a male. Uh, and, and um, but it's interesting that I had that female experience that I described so clearly in, in the book. Um, have, have I been, people have asked me, have I been more female, more male? I, I, I don't know. I, all I know is I have, uh, I know who I am, regardless of what my body is. Um, and my personality. So my personality is what stays the same. My body changes. I've different. I've had different male bodies in different lifetimes. Obviously, um, I've different been different ethnicities, different cultures, religions, and so forth um, in different lifetimes. But my personality stays the same. So even if I've had many other, I may have had many other women w w female lifetimes. I don't know. Um, my personality is probably pretty pretty much the same, even if when I was a woman. But uh, if you had to ask me to guess, I would guess that I've probably been chosen to be in a male body more than a female. That would be my guess. But, okay. You know, okay. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing is, um, and I'm referring back to the um, the 30th of November when mm. when you listen to that, you realize how. Um, how much power you really have choosing these lifetimes. So if you were going to guess, because you, you you had high leadership in a lot of these lifetimes and a warrior life, you had lots of uh, leadership. Uh, I mean, you were uh, Richard the Lionhearted. You, I mean, these uh, 
Marcus Aurelius, um, Sitting Bull. I mean, you you had the peaceful side or the philosophy side, but you also had a warrior side. Um, why do you think that combination, then you picked TM to be with Mara Rishi and, yeah. and, and the movement? And, well, and I, I mean, you might have to explain the movement a little bit better than yeah. to, to explain this, okay? Yeah. So um, first, the warrior issue. I'll come back around to the movement issue. Okay. Um, I've been a warrior a number of times in many lifetimes, sometimes a known person, sometimes an unknown person, but I've been a warrior in many lifetimes. I, I don't have a love of fighting. I have, I am a, I am a peace loving person, but I have been in positions where I've had to fight. And so if I have to fight to protect either my people, my nation or whatever, then I will do that. And I have done that. And, um, but I don't seek fighting. So just to be clear, cause you hear the word warrior and, and often the word warrior comes with this whole, um, perceived persona of somebody who likes to fight. You know, I, I, I am a strategist. I am a philosopher, strategist, thinker. So one of the things that historically I'm known for is, is really good strategy and really good tact, uh, uh, strategist and tactician. That means planning, and then that means execution on the battlefield. And I've done that in the battlefield of business this lifetime. So it's different battlefields, right? Um, so there's that element. Um, but I think the peaceful element that you're talking about with meditation and so forth has always been there within me, always there. I'm always looking for a peaceful, a peaceful uh, settlement or a way to settle the conflict peacefully. But if not, then, um, I, I've, I've been able to go in there and kick butt, let's just say, uh, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. All right. So um, the thing is, I, that's not who how I'm wired today, though. You know, um, yes, to protect my loved ones, sure. But you know, that it's not. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not jonesing for going out to be a general of some army these days. No, not my thing. Um, the movement that you refer to in the 30th November talk that you alluded to earlier. Um, is a group on the other side. And I would say, the phrase I would use is, they've been involved in, they, this is not their phrase, this is my phrase that George and I kind of use uh, when we talk with each other, but I'll use it with you guys publicly, is, is that they've been involved in a social science experiment. That's the way to look at it. So we got Jehovah, Jesus, John the Baptist, who was also Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, uh, the same soul, different lifetimes. He's also the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. It's the same person. Elijah, John the Baptist, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Okay. I studied with him 2,000 years ago when he was John the Baptist, before he told several of us, including my brother Andrew, who was George Hammond, uh, to, um, um, to go study with Jesus. So that was the last time I saw John before he, you know, he, then he got killed. People know the story. He, he got beheaded and so forth. But then I, I've, I've been with him multiple times 
between 2,000 years ago and this present 20th light century lifetime. I talk about that in my book, My Other Lifetimes with Maharishi. Um, movement members, Jehovah, many of who people view Jehovah, Allah, God, Yahweh, so forth. Jehovah, uh, Jesus, uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who is also, as I said, John the Baptist, um, and uh, Shankara, who is also Vyasa. Vyasa wrote the Mahabharata. The Bhagavad Gita is in the Mahabharata. Uh, Shankara, uh, a, a, you know, a great Indian uh, sage seer uh, from uh, long ago, who is very much uh, revered and viewed as one of the progenitors of the Vedic tradition. And those of you who know, uh, the Vedic tradition, the Buddhist tradition comes out of the Vedic tradition. Right. The Buddhist tradition is a an offshoot of the Vedic tradition. So that's Shankara is a member of this group. And there's about 15 others. So there's a number of others. There's Swami Brahmananda Saraswati, who is Maharishi's teacher and so forth. Um, there's this core group of folks. So we'll call them the 12 to 15 or something like that About of them. I've, I've communicated with them many times. And George got a download from them in 2014. And that was the genesis, uh, subject matter, topically wise, of the 30th November talk. You can go to 30thnovember.com, or you can just Google 30th November, or you can just Google my name, and you'll see it pop up on my Google page um, uh, in your Google search. So that's a talk that was downloaded to George from that group that they refer to themselves as a movement. Why, why do I call them social scientists? I call them social scientists, figuratively speaking, because they, they were looking down at planet Earth, starting around 10, 7 to 10,000 years ago, thinking, how can we get these humans from killing each other and just sacrificing themselves, babies and women and children, typically, to the gods? You know, how, can we, how can we move the needle in a more positive, life-affirming direction? And so they started doing various things that George gets into in the talk. I don't want to give the talk yeah, right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. That, that, but that's the background. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to bring that up because that will, if if uh, if you have a chance, it's free on YouTube. If you have a chance to see that and then read this book, um, it could really um, anchor the information in there. Okay. So I have another question about... Um, utilizing skills from other timelines in this lifetime. Right. Do you, I mean, so go in the shower and go, okay, Marcus Aurelius, I need your help today. <laughs> I mean, do you, do, do you call no. on? <laughs> no, well, I, don't I am Marcus Aurelius. I don't go in the shower and talk to myself <laughs> and say I need help for myself. No, but I mean, the aspects of his, Okay, so so the aspects that are available to you yep. from your previous life learnings, your life experiences, right? Can you consciously call them up and use them at will now? Yes. Ah, I, don't, okay. I don't have to call them up. They are part of who I wow. am. So so they are part of who we are now. So that's the lesson out of the book is that we are who we are. We take ourselves from lifetime to lifetime. The issue is, do we recognize those traits? 
Do we recognize and do we embrace them? So what, what these memories have done for me anyway, personally, and again, each individual, unique, we're all unique, how somebody may interpret their past life memories and so forth, unique to that person, et cetera, et cetera. But how it's affected me is it my acknowledgement, and we can talk about, let me just talk a couple of these and give an example. So like, for example, my ability to strategize so well in business today is informed by my abilities to strategize on battlefields a thousand years ago or 250 years ago or 150 years ago. And that and, and that, that, that is part of my learning of how to strategize in life and death situations wow. that's gone on for thousands of years. And so my recognition of that has empowered me even more to embrace the skill set that I realize that I have this lifetime. I don't have to say, oh, it's from the other from the other lifetime, and now I have I don't have to go through this uh, you know, mental gymnastics, but just the recognition that I have done and have accomplished certain things in my past has given me more strength to be assertive in my present. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, yes, yes. Well, um, the reason um, I asked is I, um, I did a process with David Tresemer, <laughs> who is a, a brilliant, brilliant man. And he has a process, I forget what he calls it, where he uses your birth time and date and everything about when you came into physical this lifetime. And he researches who died at that exact same time mm. in different centuries and mm. says that you were, um, you were affected or gifted skills or benefits from that, that, you came in when they passed and it didn't matter if they passed 500 years ago. Um, you actually were effect, you, you were gifted their gifts. So uh, that's why I was asking is the gifts that you got. Um, yeah, that's, that's his theory. I, 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 I don't espouse that theory. So my, okay. my, my, my experience is that we are unique individuals to ourselves. We don't we don't pick up stuff from other souls unless we're in a class with them, like we are right now in a class together, you and I, and we're, yeah. other people are listening. We pick stuff up. I'm not saying we don't pick stuff up, but you're talking about on a soul level that something is transferred right. automatically from soul to soul. <clears throat> my my experience is that souls are discrete, meaning unique, and they are they are freestanding. That the, I, the phrase that I use in my Marcus Aurelius updated book in the, in some of those 67 essays, which that's a collection of 67 essays, that purple book that Kathy's shown, shown you, is the phrase I use is we are sovereign entities. We are sovereign, sovereign meaning freestanding entities making our free will choices. Other choices of other people that other mate are never for, forced on us. We can be influenced by them. That's what a class is. That's what going to school is. But we can buy or not buy what the teacher is saying. <laughs> and I always tell my students to make their own decisions. They're not to just completely blindly buy what I'm saying, even. So 
that's my experience. That's my interpretation that I share with my students. I want them to filter it. And so my experience is that every soul operates that way. And I encourage souls to embrace that uniqueness that is them and to not feel like somebody else is pushing their stuff into them uh, with against their will. Because okay. it's a violation of free will. You cannot have free will and this notion of predestination at the same time. I talk about that in the Marcus Aurelius book. Okay. So yeah. do you feel like the, a meditation is the fastest path to this awareness? Because that was certainly your path. Um, as I mentioned before, I, I lots of people do QHHT and all yeah. of that. Um, but how, how, I mean, once, once we read these books, yeah. And we um, release our fear of death, which is just perfect for this time period, the past three years. Um, mm. And then we we actually um, get fall in love with this experience again. That I really feel like your work helps people fall in love with their experience. You, you and need to fall in love with living here where we are. That's right. the thing. In right. the continual present this experience wherever we are. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's about getting rid of our fears and embracing the continual present. And and if this book helps people, then, then that's awesome. Because my message always is to, look, we have chosen to be here. Some people have chosen to be on planet Earth because they want to learn lessons and so forth. Other people come here just to get drunk and to have sex and and, and to fight. I mean, I mean, it's those <laughs> those three things are like the big things, aren't they? I mean, it's like some form of those three things are, are, are big motivators for people, and it, and and it's not as fun. Any of those three things is not as fun on, without a biological body, and so uh, on the other side. So, but but I choose to come and learn, and I choose to come and learn and learn and learn what about me, about myself. To me, that's what spiritual development is. It's like we call it self-development. What can I learn more about myself? So my past life memories are all about how can they inform me more to so I can live a happier, more content life in the continual present. What happened in the past has happened in the past. And how it's affected me, to your other question, it's affected me now, already. It's already affected me. It's part of my fabric. But, but the recognition, the self-awareness that can come along with a memory does can help. But to answer your question about meditation, yes, it has helped accelerate it for me. Whether it helps accelerate it for other people, I think it would. But again, we're all individuals. I'm not here to tell people, you know, this is the way you're going to do it, you know, kind of a thing. And not everybody, not everybody, not all of even of my students have meditated and and have and yet still have had past life med, uh, experiences without meditation, without having ever meditated. So it can happen to anybody at any time. But yes, the short answer is: Would it help open people up more? I think so. Yes, and I think it's it, again all of these um, work. Well, it's not work, but the, the opportunity to know yourself better, to work on um, your. Uh, stinking thinking, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, the the opportunity that Calvin's using his story, which is it's 6,000 years of lifetimes that he's aware of 
and he actually can tell you, I mean, there's a, there's a chapter on each one of these lifetimes in here where he comes clean on what he remembers and what he saw. So, um, I mean, it, it's very inspiring. It, it, it makes me want, I, I, I don't know who I was at all. Um, I'm just trying to clear the programming. I've got this lifetime. <laughs> well, the thing is, you don't need to know who you were. That's the that's the other message, okay. which is which is very important because most people are not going to under uh, uncover their past life memories, and it's not necessary to fully develop Perfect. our consciousness, our conscious awareness to remember that stuff. No. But you, what you can look at as is our emotional patterns. And so that's what I teach my students. Look at our emotional patterns because our emotional patterns are our knee jerk. Why do I really like that? Why do I really hate that? These, you know, and everything in between, every kind of range of desire in between. Why does that, why does that tick us off? And why do I love that? Why am I so attracted to that? Look into these things. Those emotional patterns are connected, in my experience, to past life memories. Yeah. And they will inform you. Whether they open up past life memory or not, it doesn't matter. What The important thing is our continual present. And they will inform us more about who we are now. Yes. That's what self-development is about. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So everyone, um, uh, Kelvin Chin has several websites, but... Um, to get more information from you, Kelvin, and to um, connect to all of your books and all of your classes, where should they go? Just go to kelvinchin.org. That's my main website, just my name.org. Uh -huh. ORG uh -huh. means it's a nonprofit website. Uh, so kelvinchin.org. That's the easiest one. And they can connect to all my other websites from that one website e e very easily. Yeah. And they can connect with me through the contact page. And like I said uh, earlier, free initial phone session or Zoom or WhatsApp if they're international. I have clients in 60, 60 countries now. Um, you know, just connect with me for a free session to ask me questions, whatever. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you for your generosity and your um, loving heart that you share so beautifully with everyone. And seriously, you guys, his meditation class is the boss. It's it. <laughs> I, I seriously, it it's so fast and so simple. You've really you've really drilled it down. And he does a lot of um, uh, practices, so you can practice with Kelvin to get in the groove of it. So right. he's always available to help you go deeper and um, become more of the gift that you are as well. Exactly. Exactly. Well, right. thank you, Cal. Um, I hope to see, you. hope to see you. I hope I see you sometime soon in person. Yeah, anyway. it'll be nice. It'll be nice. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, dear. Good bye to see bye. you. Thank Thanks. you for this wonderful book. Thank you. Absolutely.